It's episode 75 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. And uh, you guys staying warm? Trying to. The heat in my building was off this morning, so that was fun. A little chilly? A little chilly. I mean, it was 60, but a little chilly. J.P., how is it in uh, was it South Bend? We got a good uh, five or six inches of lake effect snow, and it's been plenty windy and cold, so it's been exceedingly unpleasant, but... The snow has made it at least beautiful. Hey, there you go. It does look when it's this cold, it, it does look nice out because you don't get any of the the thaw that gets it all gray and nasty looking. Oh yeah. So the, we the have snow a little self looks nice. Yeah. So we have a little bit of time before I think the uh seasonal effect defective, disaffective, seasonal affective disorder. No, that's December, because that's when the days get the shortest. Okay. We're on the upswing now. Yeah. So hey, real quick, I wanted to go through I I, I compiled some reviews that we've gotten. So I want to give people examples of what we're looking for. Oh, okay. So okay. we're doing this now? So I'm going to read a few of them for us. Okay. We're going to go through these real quick. Okay, we got four stars from 4F Seth. He said, would give five stars, but, and he blanked out the name, was a cranky host. <laughs> he said, I like this podcast, but one of the hosts was kind of rude to his co-hosts. I actually don't think it's a big deal, and if it was any other show, 9 out of 10 times, it would seem to work for radio, but it doesn't work with the dynamic of this show, resulting in him coming off like a know-it-all. So, like, do I, is that is that basically saying that we need to be a bigger dick to you? I Well, see, I, I'm still trying to figure out who he's talking about, so um, <laughs> I never really write reviews, yeah, but I was slightly annoyed are. by the point... <laughs> The, to the point of being compelled to do so, and other guys seem nice enough to stick up for. Maybe he was stressed out about following the script. I don't know. <laughs> the script. So this Whoa. was a this was a four star review. A four star review. We got four with this one. We just missed five stars. So uh, we got one star from J Sut J. I don't know. I'm not mm. looking at it. You have he it. said one star, but it's decent. Which seems like that should be a three-star review. I mean, for the audio quality and equipment alone, we should get like three stars. He says, uh, I feel like JP hates everyone and thinks he's smarter than everyone. Very snotty and pretentious. It'd be better without him. Oh, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be bad. You don't want that. No. <laughs> if the previous guy didn't like the, the dynamic of the show with three of us, he would really hate it if it was just Ryan and I the whole <laughs> oh, time. God. We would just scream at each other. It would be like holler monkeys just like screaming and throwing things at each other. But JP is smarter than all of us, so he can be <laughs> snotty and pretentious. Look, I, I I said before when we were going through this, I give this a five star. I give that review five stars. <laughs> I think I think it is absolutely stellar. Um, I think it look, I while I will say I feel one of the things it's it is that it feels that JP hates everybody. But what he doesn't understand is that he, I also think that I'm stupid. So like it just means that I think everyone is stupid. Yeah. OK, so we got one from Slappy in lacrosse. He Slappy. Gave, Slappy gave us five stars. He said, I like it. Good podcast. But the, the constant arguing sometimes gets annoying. Again, if you if you actually heard us like talking in person, he'd really be annoyed. We'd be the person at a ball game. He'd want to just freaking beat about the head, probably. We're just embracing debate. Yeah. So uh, we got a five-star review from I Love Brewers. Title of the review is Love Brewers. And he said, Brewers. 
look, I'm all about that. That's a great review. I that's think just, I mean, it's to the very, point. He's on, on point. That That is you, you, you pick your brand and you stick with your brand. You embrace that. So, uh, and then finally we have one from our friend, J.R. Radcliffe. He gave us five stars. Uh, J.R. does the, uh, journal Sentinel podcast for the brewers and some other ones as well. and some other ones but who cares about those uh he says it's great brewers insight it's so great to hear brewers talk that is neither blazing with panic nor oozing with idealism and big picture fluffiness they make me want to be a better podcaster i, well, I he was he was I, a I, very good guest i i podcaster i, I may have us. added the last line but we all know that's what he meant <laughs> i also want us to be better podcasters <laughs> I mean, that would really be off brand. So I, I give him credit. He's got to deal with hard record occasionally. So that hi, Tom. Yeah, that that you know what, Steve, you're now not unblocked. <laughs> we need we all. So everybody go and rate and review our podcast and see if you can do better than those reviews. And then also go and find JR's podcast and rate and review that one. And in all of your reviews, mention how you also like Milwaukee's tailgate. Yes. So we want to see that. Review, Expand the brand. Yeah, review the Journal Sentinel Brewers podcast, but mention Milwaukee's tailgate in all of your reviews. I think you should do that. So definitely uh, go out and, and do that. You can do that on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Spotify. And then also make sure you send questions to us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in the Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally... If you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. On Friday, February 1st, Carbon 4 is re-releasing Simply Dusty Chamomile Saison. That was out this past spring, summer. I want to say we had it one of the days we recorded yeah, yeah, yeah. here, and it was good. It is I, very I good. I really did enjoy that. I that's, that's one when you're with people who say, I don't like hoppy beers or IPAs. Yeah, they, check out that one. I, I recommend it. Um, and then also don't miss their free sampling at Total Wine in Greenfield. I think if you... If you tag Ryan in it and let him know that you'll be there, he'll probably, you know, do a, a an impromptu Milwaukee's tailgate uh, meetup. No, no, that you're won't gonna, happen. You're going to hang out in a total wine on a Friday afternoon. I don't schlep outside of downtown anymore, except for a couple of reasons: to do this podcast and to go to work. That's that's why. I, well, I thought that, you would. I'm, I thought you would leave I'm work in, and drive right over to the liquor store because don't you normally do that? <laughs> Thankfully, no. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, check that out if you're in the area. Also, get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Visit the brewery on Kidsman Boulevard or find their beer at your local retailer. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we had big, 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 big news this week. Earth-shattering. The it, earth moved. It did. It seriously did. So, in 2020, 
Miller Park will cease to exist. I think it's 2021. It ceases to exist. I think we had two years. Does it go through 2020? I think so. Yeah. I think it's for the 2021 season. Okay. That is correct because they gave away Travis Shaw's jersey number 21 to the the good people at American Family Insurance. He's probably going to have to, you know. I wonder if he got anything out of that, though. Maybe they. they I'm sure they totally gave him the jersey and it wasn't just symbolic. (laughs) Um, Okay. So uh, the naming rights of Miller Park will go to American family after the 2020 season and everybody lost their freaking minds. It, it was a hot take day. It was hotty takes. I mean, what are you going to do in January JP when this is the only real news since free agents don't seem to get signed very often? I was actually surprised how, like, as soon as I read it, I was actually a little bit pissed off about it. (laughs) And that's off brand. I know it surprised me about it. I was like, wow. I think I put on Twitter. I was like, yeah, I've just learned about myself that I cared about a business name on a, on a big building. So that was that was news to me. But then you took a minute, right? And thought about it. Well, and then I took a minute and I realized that I either, either there was two options. Number one, uh, to stop caring, which is the option I chose because I don't. That's my brand is not caring. Um, and the other option is to take because I think the thing I liked about it was it was Miller Park it was about a brewery and they were the brewers and there was a nice synergy there so I'm I'm wondering if we need to change it to the Milwaukee risk management specialists and that needs to be the team name so I'm going to cop to something when I first found out that it was going to be named Miller Park I did not instantly put together somebody had to tell me that it was oh yeah Miller Brewing I did not actually connect the fact that Miller Park was named for that. I just thought, oh, there you was thought some... it was just close enough to Frederick Miller's grave no, I just that thought, they decided. Well, okay, first off, I was still living in Madison at the time, so like, or in college, probably yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there. Anyway, I was not living in the city yet, so I was not sort of inundated with all that yet, and it didn't instantly connect to me that, oh yeah, it, it's be- of course it's because it's Miller Beer and they're the ones sponsoring the park. I did not realize that. It just sounded like, oh, there was some guy named Miller who was sponsoring the park. <laughs> Honest to God, I did not some, understand that. Some guy named Miller? So I did not put two and two together when it was named because it's it's just a family name. And so that's the one thing. I said that on Twitter. The one thing about this that, you know. Don't, I, don't amplify that take. Family names, <laughs> like a family name as opposed to like, you know, obviously corporate American family, you know, insurance. There's, you know. It's just not as natural. It doesn't feel quite as you know what you know. it's. It's not Yum Stadium or whatever the <laughs> arena is in like Kentucky. So yeah, the Yum well, Yum Arena. What I will say though is that I've now learned that Ryan is a pretty big fan of native advertising techniques in which the advertising <laughs> is speaking in a place that seems utterly natural and within the confines of whatever he's reading. So Didn't say I was a fan. Just said that I was duped by them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, either way, it's people can freak out in January and they'll probably freak out when it gets changed and then everybody will just go with it after that fact. Everybody is going to still continue to call. People are still calling the new Comiskey, which I don't even know what it's called right now. It's called Guarantee Rate Field. Okay. So that's it. I was going to call it the cell. I thought it was US Cellular. Yeah. So point made. It's always people are always going to you know, call it but, Miller. But people like, also freaked out in Milwaukee when BMO Harris bought the naming rights to the Bradley Center, and by the end there, everybody was calling it the BMO. 
Mm. People would call it the Bradley Center, but they would also call it the BMO. Like, you know what? It had been that name for 20 plus years and people still were able to grapple with the change. I think it, it helps when you are the first name on something, even if you're a corporate thing, because you're going to get that the identity of that place like on some level even though fiserv is just a corporate name it's that building even if it changes names people are still going to think of it as fiserv just because it was first you know what i mean when the building went up that was the first thing it was called i think i saw somebody suggest like naming the field and then naming the stadium i've heard all kinds of suggestions so what like like hank aaron field at amfam stadium sure stuff like that something like that to kind of like soften the blow and and bring back or you know the i don't know warm feelings like, we have for the area i don't know i was gonna say though but it's 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 like uh you know we call things jello or we call it kleenex or right like there are company names that are just associated with things because things have been called that for so long right right and, when and, when a thing is introduced first that's the name whatever name is attached to it okay here's here's the problem miller park is short and to the point it is miller park that was that was simple. That's why I think people can be like justifiably angry about it because you know it's if, one syllable. If I'm if I'm Brian Anderson or whoever's doing the intro for the game on the radio, I think usually like Levering actually does it, and then Euchre takes over the actual call in the first inning. Mm-hmm. Those people are who I feel bad for because it's not as natural they're going to have to like garble out you know something at American Family you know field in Milwaukee. You know that's going to sound bad. Everybody else like just don't worry about it. Do you think they're, I, I mean, I guess I've just assumed that they're going to call it like AmFam Field or something like that. I'm fine with that. It'll depend on what I would imagine what American Family is comfortable with. If in official reads of things, when people are doing like a broadcast read for it, if they say, hey, you need to say the entire name every time, then that'll be the thing. If they say, no, it's okay to call it AmFam. It should be AmFam and then you could say, come, come to the fam. Join the come fam. On, come on in, fam. Come on in, fam. Yeah, that's yes. It, it's going to be very big with the next generation. They're just going to call it the fam. <laughs> they, they should just come up with an emoji or something like that. Going to the fam, well, fam. Look, we're old enough that we do not need you guys trying to go on this train. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, the the high school lingo. That's my world. So that's I'm all about animated here. gifs. So <laughs> maybe they could just have an animated gif to stand in for the name of the park. It could be this, well, with the way we talk about it, it could be the Steve Buscemi, <laughs> how do you do, fellow kids? Yes. I, I'm preferring the the guy from Ancient Aliens that, that says, like, is such a thing possible? Yes, it is. I want that. <laughs> I want that gift to be like what is always outside Miller Park. Can we please talk about something better now? I think in, instead of AmFam Field, it should be like somebody just flossing. <laughs> On that note, that's what it should be. Every every time they want to talk about the field, it has to go up to Brian Anderson in the booth and just on camera, he's going to floss. So the best part was I actually didn't recognize that you were talking about the Fortnite dance for a minute and thought you actually were talking about physically like dental flossing. That's if that's if like Colgate took over the naming rights. Four four out of five dentists aboard. (laughs) Four out of five dentists recommend coming out to the ballpark. Okay. So uh, we'll put that one on the back burner for two years, and then we'll talk about it again probably, right? I can't wait. <laughs> Are we all ready for it? Uh, actual news. 
Uh, David Stearns has been promoted to president of baseball ops and uh, general manager. Both titles. Mm-hmm. And he was extended. So wh- how long was the extension for? You don't have that on here. They didn't uh, say. They they're didn't not, say? They're, they're not giving terms. It's indefinitely? I am going to go ahead and assume it's a lifetime contract, he signed, which he cannot get out of because he signed it in blood. Yeah, he signed he signed his entire life over to the Milwaukee Brewers so he could be the uh, president of baseball ops. For life. For life. You can't leave. You J- stay here, David. J- JP, how do you feel about uh, giving Stearns that promotion? We were kind of talking about it before as something that seemed like it was going to happen. Yeah, I think it's just about trying to make sure that he's happy and they can justify a, a pay raise and a title raise to go kind of in tandem so they can keep him in Milwaukee as long as possible, right? We've we've heard the Giants have been sniffing around and the more success that the Brewers are going to have, the harder it is to to keep a hold of them. And the biggest thing that has been happening in front offices right now, aside from like pay increases, has actually been uh, title inflation as well. It's a, it's a way to justify pay increases. It's a way to kind of signal a kind of promotion and one of the things you've been seeing is anyone who is starting to become popular across front offices or across the industry it's one of the easiest ways to justify a pay increase well and i think also you know when there were rumors of of other teams wanting to interview stearns and then it came out that the brewers had rejected those requests for interviews like people i think there were some people who were like oh my god is stearns going to get angry about this clearly they were working on this title yeah, that was going to be my main takeaway from it is that this was about if you're going to not give David Stearns the opportunity to interview for the Giants president of baseball operations job, you either have to do this or he's going to become unhappy and he's going to well, leave. Well, but they were probably in the process already. Oh, I'm sure they were. So it wasn't a matter of other teams came sniffing around. They said, no, you can't interview him and then said, oh, and so you're not angry. We're going to start working on something. It was already did you guys see any of the – there were some comments. I think it was mostly on Facebook. I didn't see them. I heard of them. I know of them that people were drawing the dots because obviously the, the David Stearns announcement came the day after the AmFam announcement. So people said, oh, he got his, like, pound of flesh. He got the, the, the name – he sold us down the river with the, the name change, and now he gets his reward for it by getting promoted and whatever. And I saw that there I thought were people it was connecting the for, two. I thought they paid for his new title and pay increase with the AmFam naming rights. That's a good one, too. Well, what I will say, though, in, in like, an actual non-conspiratorial way uh, – I would be surprised if David Stearns would have actually been interested in the Giants front office position. I know that they can offer more money, but like, is that a situation you want to go and risk your reputation on if you're already making good money with the Brewers? Like, that's not a turnaround that's going to be comfortable. Well, and also when he hasn't seen this project through yet, like there were so close, maybe in two or three years, depending on what happens, it would make more sense. But like he hasn't seen this project to its completion yet. But also, I mean, when you're talking about general managers and presidents of baseball ops, stuff like that, they aren't making as much as, you know, giving out a $500 million contract to Bryce Harper. So the Brewers legitimately can compete by paying a general manager more money. Certainly. Oh, well, sure. And I was, if you want a good conspiratorial take, maybe they didn't give Derek Johnson the raise he wanted. And that's why he went to Cincy because they were working on a Stearns extension. How do you feel about that, Ryan? Oh, that's that's money. That's solid, solid money. I I totally buy in. Okay, we do have a question on Patreon. No, not Patreon. Nope, this one's just Twitter. Okay, this is just a Twitter question from Mark uh, Podscarby. Yep. 
That's okay. what I would say. Uh, asking um, if we have any thoughts of Stearns getting both the president of baseball ops and retaining the general manager title instead of giving Arnold a promotion to GM. And we should add in, too, Ray Montgomery could also be a potential guy who... There are a couple of guys in the right, front office. Could yeah. be in line for that sort of, you know, elevation. Um, it is interesting that they are retaining all that in one position, and it will be interesting to see... I have not heard, and JP, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I haven't heard Arnold connected to interviewing for other positions. I know Montgomery has interviewed for some other positions, but I haven't heard things specifically with Arnold. So maybe it's not an immediate need. I I think this is one of those things where I think Stearns, in large part, got this promotion and raise and extension because of the success they had and then the fact that other teams did come sniffing around. Like, for serious, big time, especially the Giants were looking for a president of baseball ops. They weren't looking for a GM. They were looking for a a raise from what he currently was. So there was pressure on them to do this sort of deal. They needed to do this. But at the same time, like, a president of baseball operations and GM, like, it's not like David Stern's role has changed. It's just his title has changed. There wasn't anything... because he was going to go be president of baseball operations at, at San Francisco doesn't mean that he was going to be functionally doing anything different. He still was going to be heading up everything. Right. No, he was go- he is the head baseball guy at, in Milwaukee. He is still the head baseball guy. He would have been the head baseball guy in San Francisco, too. But, I mean, like you said, it's title inflation. So the question is, do they need to do title inflation with Matt Arnold to keep him around? And... Clearly, they don't think that's a need yet, but I, I wouldn't rule it out down the road. Yeah, I think down down the road, maybe it makes a little bit more sense. But guys with like Arnold and Montgomery and even Stearns to an extent, I think one of the things that people need to keep in mind is that, yeah, they might be able to go get a raise somewhere. They might be able to go get a, a promotion to GM or whatever, if you're talking about uh, Arnold or Montgomery. But they're not going to want to just take a promotion just because they're offered a promotion. They're they're in a good spot right now. They they are in a, a workplace in which they've been successful. They're being compensated. They're you know they're doing things in a in a positive work environment in which everyone who is working with them actually really likes working with them. It seems to me that it's not like a, a Jack Z situation in which you go and just take any job that's available. You or are, are only going to take a job unless they really really do want the challenge of being able to control everything themselves. You're only going to do that if the position is right or like the situation is right. And most attractive positions are going to be taken up by other kind of more, I don't want to say well-regarded because I think that they're, you know, Arnold and Montgomery are very well-regarded, but, but more credentialed uh, folks. Sure. Yeah. I mean, though we've seen guys kind of come off the, the radar to get some of these jobs that have opened up for head baseball guys, you know, if we're talking no. about Falvey and, uh, was it Levine in Minnesota or Mike Hazen in Arizona? Yeah, but like, are those aren't like really fantastic opportunities where you can go in and feel like you're on the cusp of something big? And Minnesota's a pretty decent one. When they came in, they had a very good farm system, and yeah, they're they're pretty well positioned. Yeah, but you already know that you're like, if you are in Milwaukee, going to Minnesota is basically the same thing. Oh, yes. In terms of market size, in terms of spending capacity. Yeah, you're not getting access to the Dodgers payroll or the Giants payroll or one of the the big boys, you know. So, yeah, that's that's a valid point. 
So, uh, well, it's good for the Brewers, uh, you know, because I think some people were getting a little nervous after the season that Stearns would jump ship to something bigger, but it looks like he'll be around for a while. Yeah, there's no reason to think he's going anywhere anytime soon. So that's fantastic. Okay, so we have some more talk of rule changes uh, this week. MLB is floating, moving the DL back to 15 days. Which it was was until a a couple years ago. It was only a few years ago. It dropped to 10. And then making option salary players stay in the minors for 15 days instead of 10 days. Which would be... That's a total change. That would be a big change. That is not the way it's been in the past. So... uh, Kevin Fennis on Twitter asks, uh, Mulling getting rid of the shift, and now this, does MLB hate the Brewers? Because these are two rules that the Brewers took advantage of. I mean, all three of these things. Actually, you know what's funny is, two seasons ago, the DL rule, people were complaining that Stearns was not taking advantage of that. If you go back a couple of years, they were saying Stearns wasn't taking advantage of the short DL stays by DLing braun or i think thames when he had some issues and stuff like that um yeah i think james was critical of that james langer was yeah so uh and not unjustifiably if he was right yeah but you know we've talked about the way they used the bullpen the way they were cycling guys through and changing the uh option stay from 10 to 15 days would definitely have an impact on the roster i'm a little bit confused like what the impetus is like if they feel like it's kind of roster manipulation that people are much more willing to send people on DLs or send them down to the minors and just kind of create a, I don't know, like a much more of a kind of a shuttle team back and forth. But I'm not really sure what they think that affects. I think what they're trying to do is put the genie back in the bottle. I think this is trying to appease the John Smoltz's of the world who are sad that starters have been losing their prominence and their their top place in the game and that they've been continually marginalized and who spent the entire damn postseason complaining well, hold about on. it yeah yeah, yeah. this but, is, i mean this to, is trying to, to complain appease. to complain that they're marginalized is silly though because your top end starters are still extremely valuable but it's a complaint people have about the situation and like smoltz no, I get making the complaint and i think this is trying to put that genie back into the bottle and saying well let's try to find a way to force teams to use their starters longer let's force teams to do this stuff and you can't because the reason teams stopped doing that is they realized how destructive a strategy it was. So you can't put that genie back in the bottle now because that was a natural evolution of people finally coming to understand that most starters really were pretty marginal the third time through the order and they shouldn't be seeing any sort of like high leverage situations that third time through the order. So teams figured this out and you can't get them to unfigure that out. They're just going to try to do something else. We were talking about this before we started recording. And my guess is what will happen is this will mean your better relievers who are shuttled to the minors will just have to stay there longer or will stay on the DL longer. And this will mean the 37th, 38th, 39th guy in your 40 man is just going to have to pick up more innings coverage in the middle innings, which means more crappy middle relief pitching than would be necessary because you've instituted these rules. So it it doesn't seem like, I mean, I guess that adds more offense to the game, but it seems like a crappy way to do it. I guess I'm, I'm not convinced that it does actually change anything with the strategy. I'd be curious to see how many times guys went down for just 10 days, like 10 days and were immediately recalled. Because if they went down hit their 10 days and then it was still a few days before they were recalled 
it's not going to have that much of an impact. I mean, five more days can have an impact, but you'd have to show me like teams sent guys down to the minors. They spent 10 days down there and were immediately recalled to show like this is going to have an actual impact on the way that strategy works. Well, I'm not saying it can't. No, but just the idea that you can recall them after 10 days, not necessarily that you will recall them. But just knowing that you can recall them after 10 days gives you a little bit of leeway to say, hey, if we have a couple of games in a row where our bullpen gets mangled, we know we have this guy who's going to be available at this time. You know, you, you have a little bit more leeway to do that. Having to push it back another five days means you have to push the risk out a little bit more. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I take the point, but. And I also understand that this is just kind of MLB maybe changing something because you know they didn't like the unintended effects of changing rules which you know maybe they should think about a little bit more when they're talking about shifting and stupid ass things um everything that they're talking about to me doesn't seem to be address addressing the problem that they actually want to address right it's something to do something about a problem that they perceive to be there but really may not actually be a problem <laughs> like you I, don't, I, mean? I don't know if you said anything there. No, yes, they're, they, they're, they perceive there to be a problem that may or may not be there, and they're going to try to address it in some way, but it doesn't... Major League Baseball is trying to increase offense by limiting the effectiveness of receiver, of relief, relief pitchers. Which, there is a valid case to be made that relief pitching has gotten so good that the end of games have become perfunctory, where... Man, we've seen plenty of blown games. Plenty of games get blown. It, it, not as much as it used to be. Sure. I don't know. I, but at the same time, like what they actually are upset about is the fact that pitchers are getting better. Right? I mean, like we've, we, you see every single offseason, so and so was throwing 89 miles an hour in college and now in, has been working with somebody in the pros and is now throwing 97 miles an hour out of the pen. And like part, part of the issue is what they need to do is either lower the mound or move it back a little bit. I mean, that that's what they need to do. The the one that I've come to favor the most, I don't think we've talked about it on here, is I'm fully in favor of moving the mound back a foot or two. And I think that... Oh, I would lower the mound first. They There are people who say that it, that poses some injury risk. I don't know so, if that's true or not, but there are I people, don't know. I thought it, lowering the mound, throwing off a lower mound, actually like is better for guys' arms. There's disagreement on it. They talk about it, and Jeff Passan talks about it in the arm, and there wasn't a consensus on it. Some people said lowering the mound would be worse for injuries. Some said it would be better for injuries. It, there isn't a consensus on it. But that's because they haven't done it. Well, we actually, I mean, the mound has been I know, manipulated with, at various times. I know that, but with like actual, what they're, the reason that they're arguing is because there's no data. Right. Well, and you could move the mound back in the minor leagues and collect plenty of data, and it's a pretty non... Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, 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 no. You can't have players throwing from one distance in the minors and coming up and throwing at a different distance in the majors. Yeah, I agree with that. That, that you can't do. You can, you can roll it out in the minors before you roll no, it out in the majors. I'm saying no. Yeah, uh, of all the things you can experiment with in the minors, I would not do that because that's playing fundamentally two different games. I mean, we're yeah, talking about moving it a foot. We're not talking about moving it. It's but still plain. And then what does it matter? It's like not going to change. If, oh, if, if your argument is it doesn't actually matter, then what are we doing? No, no, no. Uh, the people that have looked at this, I, I can't remember where the discussion of this was. It It is going to make a difference in reaction times. It's going to make a, uh, a difference in terms of... 
Well, hold on a second. Stuff. You know, if you're looking to increase offense and you want to change something with pitching, it seems like lowering the mound would do it because you're decreasing plane. And so pitchers not able limiting their ability to get plane on the ball and get more break on the ball and throw as hard as they normally do seems like something that has existed in baseball is something you could do through the minors and through the majors and you could have the effect that you're looking for at least to try like if you're going to make a rule change that is where I would start with it I wouldn't do something again that fundamentally changes the game especially if it's like let's let's experiment with it here in the minors and it's a completely different game in the majors what do you do with these guys going back and forth from the minors to the majors you don't do it Throughout the minors, you start at a lower level and then increase it would have it to be in rookie ball in low A because guys do get promoted from double A. Yeah, it would have to be at rookie ball in low A. But the thing but is, do you is, want rookie ball guys to do that? But the thing is, is you then fundamentally what you do. It, I've got a problem with it for two reasons. Number one, I do think it fundamentally changes the game in some in some way. But I also like this idea that like oh, we don't really give a shit what happens at at rookie ball level. We can make them change. It might not work, but who cares? Like, here, make them do something. Well, I think part of the argument is is that rookie ball players, there's a new crop of them every year, and you're you're not getting into ingrained people who've been doing a certain thing a certain way for so, a certain length of time. Well, hold on a second. First, they have been doing a certain thing. For, uh, it is ingrained. They've been throwing from 60 feet 6 inches since you got to the full-size field in you know Little League or whatever it is. Sure. So, yes, it is ingrained, and you're making a drastic tra- change for those guys. Yeah, I mean... On some level, well, lowering the mound is potentially a drastic change as well. Not on the same level. Then moving the mound back a foot and a half. Not at all on the same level. The mound has gone up and down. And most of these guys, when they're playing through leagues going up in, you know, until they get to college, if they play there, or until they get to professional ball, I'm sure those mounds are not accurate wherever they go, regardless of what the field is. They have probably played on different height mounds through all of their, you know, Little league and high school careers. I would really like to hear a professional pitcher talk about this and find out what they think would be a bigger change, like moving the mound back a couple feet or lowering it, whatever, five inches or whatever. That'd be so, really interesting to hear him talk about it. Part of this is this isn't going to change, right? Like there, uh, the reason why they do things like this in terms of like changing DL stints or, you know, tr- trying to get rid of the shift and all of these things, because really fundamental changes about the game are not going to pass. They're not going to be able to get them through. They can't even do a thing with a fucking with a pitch clock. Um, sorry, I realized I've sworn a couple of times and maybe should stop. Um, it's there's a uh, right like even something as simple as a pitch clock has consistently gotten pushed back to the point that they haven't been able to to institute it. And you're talking about fundamentally changing something about pitching. There's no way. There's no way that that's going to pass outside of like trying to maybe do something in a CBA at one point. And there's, I don't see any scenario in which like, Hey, I don't think that's something they should even be focusing on in the next CBA. Um, but B like there's so there's going to be so much pushback against anything that changes something to do with, with the mound. Um, the same thing that you would be talking about huge changes in terms of strike zone and so much pushback on all these people that have made their career and understanding this thing and not understanding what the changes are going to do to them in their career. There's no way that they're going to take that risk. I mean, I always get back to the point where I'd rather see them change things around the margin with getting guys playing between 
shortening the time between innings, stuff like that. If if the goal is to shorten games, shorten it on the non-game things that players are doing. Take the the pauses and lessen them. As lessen the pauses, to- and that's why I'm fine with you know saying pitchers got to get it back on the mound and pitch in a timely manner. Like those are the kind of things I'm fine with. And if you start implementing that in the minor leagues where guys learn the pace and then they get to the majors and that's the pace that they pitch at, I'm in favor of those kind of changes. When you're just fundamentally changing the game to try to do things, that's usually where I draw the line and say, yeah, let's, let's think of a better, a better alternative. Yeah. I think, and what you see, and we've seen this again and again, it was what, four or five seasons ago that we were talking about the fact that pitching had becoming had become so dominant that something needed to change. And then it was like offense got too good. Again, they were hitting too much for too much power and things ebb and flow all the time. And like, if they are going to change something, I think it probably, because what they're upset about is the fact that relief pitchers have become so good. So you actually need to do something to make them not as good. And what they're trying to do is like marginally affect how often they're able to be used or like, you know, things with strategies in terms of keeping them fresh. And it's all just like artificial nonsense to try to solve a problem that they know that they can't solve in the way that they need to. And so really what I would say is just keep like things will change. Things will they'll, people will adapt. Like, just let it go. You don't need to change stuff because ultimately what ends up happening, you move you know, you move the mound back a foot and pitchers become less, you know, less good. Hitting becomes even better. Games get longer. And then suddenly people are saying, what do you need to do to make hitters not as good? Do you need to change park? Like, it's just, there's a knock-on effect on everything. And ultimately what they're interested in is watchability of the game. And watchability of the game can be addressed around the margins with Steve, which, you know, Steve is talking about. And what they're, getting back to the actual question here, Kevin asking, does MLB hate the Brewers? We should point out here that, yeah, the Brewers are kind of at the cutting edge of some of these, the shifting, the bullpen strategies and those things. The shifting thing was years ago that they were on the quote-unquote cutting edge. They were on the cutting edge, well, they were on the cutting edge in 2011, and then they got off the cutting edge because then it was the Pirates, and then they're back on the cutting edge again in like 2016, 2017. So whatever. the, The thing is, this is being directed at not just the Brewers, it's directed at all the teams that are using analytics and trying to find new ways to squeeze more out of their rosters. So the Rays, the Dodgers, who are one of the, they've been more guilty of this, of manipulating bol- or, uh, DL stints and all that stuff. They've been doing that for a while now. And that's, you know, that's a big thing on their end. So this is aimed at those teams taking those strategies, which I don't know that that's really a... Uh, that's not a, a viable long-term thing as you guys were talking about it's not really a viable I- idea for trying to stop people from doing things to just change these marginal rules at the edges it doesn't it's not going to have the effect they want so well and there's actually like and this is something that i talked about a couple of a couple of months ago like i'm not sure that the shifts are all that effective like there's a lot of a lot of questions about that. Like you would expect if the shift was so effective at turning balls and in play into outs that the Brewers batting average on balls and play would be so much better than everybody else's. And it's not. And actually, it's about the same as it was, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Sam Miller's written about this at ESPN and basically made the point that pitchers change how they pitch because of the shift and that that actually takes away some of the effectiveness. So, yeah, I mean, but that's anecdotal. Um, It was anecdotal. There was also some data. 
that was presented yeah, in that. There's, there's also tons of data. Well, I mean, it's not anecdotal, but yeah. There's there's so much for, of data from baseball prospectus from from Russell Carlton and a lot of things to show that the shift has not been effective. Actually, he just wrote an article about a month ago that said that they finally figured out the way to start making the shift effective, um, but uh, effective. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really it's an interesting thing because like intuitively it seems like the shift has caused a lot of things to change, but then you look at the numbers and it doesn't actually seem like much has changed at all. And getting rid of the shift might have the exact opposite effect of what people are talking about too, because if you lessen the penalty for swinging from the heels and rolling the ball over as a result, like when you miss hit a ball, you're trying to hit for power. You generally roll it over, right? So if you change the penalty for that and make it easier, that's not going to encourage players to adopt a less home run oriented approach, which is what a lot of the the shift people want. They want people to stop swinging for the fences so much, and they want to have people try to spray the those ball people around. suck because I want dingers. Well, <laughs> I want dingers. Hit the the truck out in the tundra territory. Force them to give that thing away. <laughs> I want more Eric Thames in my life. You're right, but my point is is that. If you do this thing, it probably actually doesn't incentivize what you want anyway. Remember when guys hit like 70 home runs in a season? Yeah. You know, it's funny how that hasn't really been a thing with this new bump in home runs where we see your your standard banjo hitting shortstop Orlando Arcia hits 15 home runs in 2017. But, you know, Giancarlo Stanton's not hitting 70. So turns out pitching is a little better than it was in 2000. You know what I realized? I was looking at Edgar Martinez since he was elected to the Hall of Fame. Um, and he had one season where, I forget, he ended up, you know, up in the... Uh, um, statistical stratosphere, Steve? Well, he was always in the st- statistical stratosphere. MVP voting. He was towards the top of the, the league in MVP voting. And I was just curious looking back in like 95 or whatever it was. And like John Valentin was an 8.3 war player for like one season when he was on the red sox right when he was with the red sox and he had like 50 doubles and i don't know like close to 30 home runs or something like that yeah i mean because he was like a second baseman so yeah it was a shortstop it was insane so yeah you do that and i think it was right before nomar noma noma so yeah well but the point being yeah you don't have you know i mean you have some guys like that but not a ton that are just some like flash in the pan, you know, who's this guy kind of middle infielder just mashing the ball. Well, that's the thing is it's it's nobody's who normally would have hit, you know, like four or five home runs are now hitting, you know, 15 home runs. That's been the bigger change in this home run spike because we're now what was this the fourth straight year that we had a record number of home runs or did it actually I know it, it the the pace of the increase scaled back this year. I don't know if it actually fell below 2017 levels, but it we've we've been on a run here where we are living in a very homer prone time. It is, but it doesn't seem like the whoever wins the home run title is not hitting some massive amount. No, you don't see that many people even get to 50. So, we have we have more elite relief pitching and we have more guys across the roster that are able to hit home runs. Yes. I'm just saying I, that seems to be more a state of the game than something that is an issue that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And some other thing will come along to change that. I'm sure. Yeah. Cause that's baseball has been doing this for 150 years. 
Yeah. So, okay, we're going to move on. Um, we have a Patreon question from Adam Post. What are your thoughts on Yasmani Grandal's explanation to why he accepted the Brewers' offer while turning down allegedly multiple multi-year offers from other teams that offered more years but at a lower annual value? I mean, I get his point. I get what he's saying that because his point was basically these people who came before him, you know, Yadier Molina and Buster Posey and these guys set – very high bars for the average annual salary. And he did not want to sign a contract that was going to significantly go back on that. He wanted to keep the AAV high. And if he needed to, just go back on the free agent market the next year. And I think he probably also, there's some level of calculus here. He knows if he takes a one-year deal with the Brewers, he has now for his the rest of his career burned team's ability to put the uh, qualifying offer on him. He is now free and clear. He never gets another qualifying offer. Next year, he can go on the market without that hanging around his neck. And that does increase his his potential return. So because teams do take that into consideration when they're offering long-term contracts. So I get the point. It's a little bit weird to me. I mean, I don't know what your thought is, JP. It's, it's a little bit strange to take significantly less time when you're a catcher, especially. Yeah, JP, does Grendel owe it to future catcher, future catchers to take the deal that earns the highest annual value? Yeah, it's it's an interesting way to state it, but I think one of the reasons why he's like he's self-conscious about this is because let's say he takes a four-year, sixty million dollar deal, right? And or you know, four years, fifty million, whatever it is. The next time an elite or a really high-end catcher comes out, that deal is going to be used as precedent, right? And that's what he's ultimately concerned about. He is concerned about the fact that if he takes a lower deal that has a lower kind of AAV, he's saying that that is going to be used as a benchmark for future players. And therefore, he understands that what what he is signing is not just about him. And that's one of the more mature ways of thinking about it. And I'm sure that, you know, his agents certainly have um, interest in trying to keep the AAV as high as he can. The, the MLBPA is really concerned with this sort of thing as well. I'm sure it's not he's not the only person who's thought about this, but he does. I, I and I and I, I respect that. Right. Like thinking about the fact that what you're signing, especially once you get to the point in which. You know, you know that you're financially taken care of, you know, you and your family are financially taken care of, right? We're not talking about somebody who is 22 years old and signing a a really under signing a $5 million deal because they just want to get to the majors and be able to get that financial security. He's got it with, you know, 18 million right here. And he is thinking about and, and I think one of the things that he's probably not saying is he's also thinking about himself. Right. Like even if he signs a three year deal and his AAV is like 12, 13 million dollars a deal or a year, like he is influencing himself when he would hypothetically be hitting the market again in in three years. And so it's both. And I think that he's, he's probably right. He needs to make sure that he's not setting the mark for everybody else that's going to be coming after him. And I think that, you know, agents particularly, but, but players and the, the players union are very concerned about those sorts of things. How much of this is him post hoc coming in and saying, well, they turned down a deal for significantly more money though at a lower annual rate. I don't How much know of if, this if is if him the Mets, justifying that decision. Well, hold on. If the Mets were 
around 50 million. Yeah, it was somewhere in the 50s. We don't know all the details, but it, we think somewhere between 50 and 60 million. I mean, one year at almost 20 isn't significantly less than four years at 50. I'm just saying because he, if he, if yeah, Randall has the same season again that he had last year and goes back on the market and gets another one-year deal for almost $20 million, he's almost gotten to that point. He's got $40 million in two years as opposed to $50 million in four. I mean, four years at oh, I see what you're saying. That, I'm, like, the overall amount of money is, you know, he's he's only $30 million off something after one year rather than taking four years and locking himself into something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he can bet on himself and say, I know I can produce for the next three season seasons and get almost $20 million a year. Right. But at the same time, like, and, and the point that I think is important is he shouldn't. And I know that there are a lot of people that disagree. He shouldn't have to bet on himself with that. He has no. the numbers in the career to be able to say that he deserves more on a, on a longer term deal based on precedent, based on value, based on all of these things. Based on the fact revenues in the game are exploding. Right. But like there is that. But you get to you get to a point in which I don't know if he's like justifying this to himself or he's justifying it to other people. I think basically what he is trying to do is say that, you know, yeah, I could have taken taken this. But I think he probably didn't want to come out publicly and say, I took this deal because I felt like I got screwed over by a market. Or he could say, I don't want to play for a garbage organization like the Mets. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. If, you know, the Mets are the main team that are, you know, connected, does he want to go to New York and play for a team like that? Most people want to go to New York. Well, that's mean, what everybody in New York says. It's generally true. But if you end up at the Mets, you're not really in New York. Like if you were in with the Yankees, let's be honest. It's like signing for the Nets instead of the, the Knicks. Exactly. Of course, that's, those are all bad options. All, none of that's good. Look, and I actually think if you are thinking as a player, especially as a as a catcher like New York, April, it's going to be cold. Like as much as they want to say it's not, it's not pleasant. If you're in Milwaukee, you're playing inside. Things get bad. Like you're inside, man. Yeah, and they got a lot of home games in April. I mean, when you're playing the Cubs, when you're playing the Cardinals, teams like that, you're at home you're inside so even when you're playing those midwest teams in your division yeah you only get a, a certain number of truly cold games early on not as many as you i mean if you were with the dodgers and you're playing a lot of division games you know other than coors it doesn't get too cold in any of those places but oh, the dodgers got to give you an offer though if you want to play there sure <laughs> so uh let's see what do we want to go to here uh do we want to do the 2019 uh racing sausage power rankings that's from jason halbison or Hals, Halbuslaven, Halbuslaven. Yeah, you're supposedly half German. You should be all over that. <laughs> so okay. I don't. What? So power rankings in terms of like who we think is going to be the top performing racing sausage. Yeah, not your favorite sausage. Top performing sausage. I don't. Even By know the way, the Johnsonville racing sausages. This was a name change they had last season, and it pissed people off it too. pissed people off and then once the racing started during the season nobody cared <laughs> i i i don't even know what the power rankings were from 2018 it, it sounds like italian won last year i don't know if you've heard of power rankings before but they're a completely arbitrary ranking system that you can just come up with on the spot oh legit all right yeah I'll that's say, why uh, that's why you see articles that are power rankings everywhere every week for every yeah, sport. I'll, I'll say italian uh, italian won um 
strong believer in in, in Italian sausage. You uh, you like fennel? I yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I'm actually like really strong fan of uh, Italian sausage. I think brat. Brought, well, no, brought. Brat's probably three for me. I think chorizo is probably number two. I'm a big fan of chorizo. Um, I like chorizo in things. I don't necessarily like just a like chorizo on a bun. I think that's how chorizo is generally served. Yes, it's, chorizo so is a crushed sausage. It's you a little. It's a little it. bit. Well, no, they you serve it at Miller Park as a. I understand that, but generally, you don't eat it in like a link. Yes, man, I'll eat it either way. I don't care. Oh, I didn't so, say like, you couldn't. Ryan I mean, probably Ryan probably puts ketchup on it though, so that's awful. Don't I do put, put I do put ketchup on. Don't things. put ketchup on a chorizo. I, I not a chorizo. No, oh, Jesus. So that would leave uh, hot dog for the fourth. And fifth, the Polish. Naturally, oh, right. we're yeah, always Polish. bringing up the rear. Pol Polish, of course, unfortunately, going to be down number five. And so, but what I will say, you're all horrible uh, people. I'm I'm saying big fan of all five, but if somebody does have to come in last place, I'm gonna say it's the Polish. Yeah, I'm I'm going brat Italian. Yeah, brat Italian. Chorizo hot dog, Polish. Never been a fan of Polish sausage. I'll do Italian, brat, Polish, uh, chorizo hot dog. Hot dogs are just what, like lips and anuses, anyways. So, <laughs> Forza Italia. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I don't, yeah, that's, but as far as who's going to win the most races, yeah, I'm going with Polish. If we're talking about just, raw speed well the thing with chorizo is they've got the very large hat on that poor thing <laughs> yeah. so there's like a lot of wind dragon resistance that poor person in the chorizo costume has to run so much expend so much more energy to get the same speed yeah that guy gets screwed Chorizo or uh, polish has a relatively like the rest of them are all pretty yeah. sleek they're all just basically a tube of well food. i mean the, the bratwurst he has a mustache that's going to cost some drag but like what the it, bratwurst what it, does? No, 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 no. The bratwurst has got the lederhosen and the no, no, no. The the Italian's the one with the big mustache. Oh, that's right. Italian. Well, no, no, no. Bra and he's also got the big chef. Bratwurst hat. has the mustache. The chef boyardee yeah, hat. That's yeah, right. Very, yeah. very uh, Luigi from the Simpsons sort of. You so you've know. got so you've got the 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 nationals. You've got the racing presidents presidents, and you've got is it Pittsburgh with the racing pierogies? Pittsburgh yes. is the pierogies. Yep. Are there are there other knockoffs and Far less, you know, far inferior uh, knockoffs of uh, of, the, of the racing sausages, or is it just? No, there's more, but I can't think of them offhand. Who else yeah. has? I think every... I th I, there was a there was a minor league one that had like racing vegetables. I mean, I'll give credit to Atlanta when they did the beat the freeze or whatever that was. Oh, they're still doing that, but that was like legitimately like here's something that's a race, but it's a different idea. It's a new idea and it's fun. Yes. And we get to laugh at that dude who fell over. Yeah, face when somebody face celebrating or somebody thinks early. somebody's like halfway and they think like, oh, I got this one. And then all of a sudden, yeah, they get just blown away. And it also really reinforces the point of how much distance there is from foul pole to foul pole in a major league outfield. That is a long, long race. Like those guys are running. You, I think the, the people that start it, they like go at full speed thinking, oh, I'm going to just, you know, 
do this thing and it's not going to be a problem. They get to the end and they are huffing and puffing. Yeah, I think about how many years ago it would have had to have been that I could actually like make that run without dying by the end of it <laughs> if you were like really opening it up and going full speed. You would just collapse and face plan at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, now it is never, never going to happen. I don't know. JP, you're a little bit more in shape than I think Ryan and I. So I think you'd have a chance. I'm a graduate student, bro. Exactly. I, you have I do. you have university facilities to work out in. Uh, no, actually, I was I was training for a marathon, and uh, and you know now that now that I'm 30, knee knee started to go on me in the in the middle of it. So that'll do it. Yeah, that's a lot of impact on the road running that many miles. Yeah, don't do it. You got to start biking or swimming or something like that when you get old. Just don't do the ellipticals. No, the those uh, things are stupid. Recumbent bike is the way to go. There you go. So uh, we got a question from PB Brew Crew on Patreon. Why is Eric Thames not a more attractive player to more teams? I've heard it said that his trade value isn't very high, but he seems like a lefty power bat with some versatility and reasonable contract that would draw a lot of interest. I, I think he would get a, he would get a lot of interest in the waiver wire. I, a team would snap him up immediately. It's just teams don't want to have to. I mean, G-Man Choi was free. Well, I mean, nominally free um, last year, and he ended up being fantastic for the Rays. You can get a CJ Cron was was effective enough. Um, you know, it's obviously different between being short side of the platoon and the strong side of the platoon. But the thing about power bats, and this is was an argument that we used to make for a long time ago to talk about the the Sabathia trade, not to get you know Ryan all up, all up in arms about you know the trade that should have never happened, but um, but you've got. If you're a team and you're and and valuations, it you know Matt Laporta was always going to be the bat in there because you can go and get first baseman and power bats in the corners. They're they're free on the waiver wire the vast majority of the time. You've got Logan Morrison who kind of goes around. You have Justin Smoke who like bounced around for years and now is suddenly becoming you know quite a, a, a productive power hitter up in Toronto. It's just those types of hitters are available. Steve and they're Pierce. Available on, yeah, they're available on the waiver wire. There's no reason to pay for it. Yeah, and there's another thing with Thames, too. If he had been healthier, he would get more interest as well. I think you'd, you'd be able to do more from that perspective. He has missed so well, much time. But if he were healthier, then Aguilar probably wouldn't have gotten as much time at first base, and Eric Thames would be the primary first baseman for the Brewers, who they wouldn't want to trade. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's true, yeah. But just to answer the question, I mean, that's part of what's driving his value down is he misses time. And he is pretty much limited to either first base, DH, or a very, very suspect outfield. So, I mean, he doesn't have positional flexibility, and that's become something that more and more teams, as bullpens have expanded to be a billion guys, there's less room for bench bats. Yeah, we have a question from Jerry Eldred on Twitter. He asks, which would you be more ironically excited to see, Ryan Braun play second base or Eric Thames play center field? I have I have thoughts on this. Um it's, it's Braun back in the infield. It's Braun back in the infield, and there's no question. I mean, Thames we've seen in the outfield moving over from the corner to center field. I mean, it. Yet the expectation. You'd go. This is going to be a disaster. But you've seen him in the outfield. You would look at it and you would go, "Yeah, this is really out of place." But like, it's not. He wouldn't get to a bunch of balls. Like that's what the result would be. He would not get to a bunch of balls. Whereas Braun, God knows what would happen. I mean, yeah, JP, be, do you think Braun still has an infielder's glove, or has he just got the like massive mitt for the outfield now? He 100% has an infielder glove. 
Yeah, I would imagine he's definitely got an infielder's glove. The one, the, the reason why the answer is Braun is because you're not only going to get fielding errors, you're going to get throwing errors. <laughs> even right? from second. <laughs> because even, because in center field, it's like, is Eric Thames going to get to the ball or not? Yes or no? And then it's just kind of like over. For Braun, you're like, oh God, is he going to get there? And then once it is, it's like, is this throw on? Like, there's going to be double double the fun. And also like double the pain because you would every time he would dive, you'd be like, oh, that's a <laughs> that's a trip to the DL. Oh, my God. I want to see Braun try to turn a double play. <laughs> I mean, Look, we Travis all thought Shaw that was going to be such a thing for Travis Shaw. And like you watched it and you're like, oh, well. yeah, but Shaw plays in the infield and he's like a good third baseman. Solid third baseman. Yeah. Braun is was never a solid third baseman. No, he was historically bad at third base. So I would love to see. We'll wait till Braun's in the final year of his contract, and then we're just like, whatever happens, we don't really care. Oh, there should be that final year. They should do some it should, wild. Stuff. It should be like little league. He gets to play every position. Oh, he should. He should definitely catch. I mean, I what I catch. What I'd like to be able to see is Billy Hamilton play shortstop and just see if there's a team that'd be willing to go without a third baseman. Just like, can you cover the entire left side of the infield? There you go. I want to see in Braun's final year, they actually get him like a cowboy hat and the badge, and they call him deputy for an entire season as he just sits there on the bench. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, yes. They should make Sign him coach third in that. <laughs> if you a 10-gallon hat? Yeah, 10-gallon hat and a badge, and he's coaching third base. If you had two Lorenzo Canes, could you get by with two outfielders? Yes. Yes. Do you think so? I'm not sure. And I just was thinking about like, because like part of me says, yeah, absolutely. You could. I'm not, I'm not sure. But like, if you I'd had like somebody fly. playing the way, you know, teams have played their, their second baseman out in short, right? Like that. And you could kind of move around. Yeah. If you use the, the extra infielder flexibly, kind of moving them out into short short outfield i think you could probably get by with it i mean we're going to see that more and more as teams are just going to say i don't know if you we're going to deploy our we we get nine people two of them are set you have to have somebody on the mound you have to have somebody behind the plate other than that you've got a lot of flexibility somebody has to be kind of in the area first are they going to have someone like running in front of the pitcher when the pitch comes and you know that's a thing in uh cricket it's called the silly and it it is actually the silly. I think it's the silly. I have no. I, I don't. Even sorry, know. I don't even understand the rules of cricket. Yeah, no. There's somebody whose job it is. I to just know they play for a couple days. Yeah, there's it's somebody whose job it literally is to just like my most exposure right to cricket is watching the movie King Ralph when I was like ten. Hmm. Because he played thought, cricket in there and he just swung at the ball like a baseball. So John Goodman like just you know crushed it. I watched uh, I watched a cricket practice at Trinity College in Dublin a couple of um, I guess what would have been a couple of summers ago. Uh, I had no idea what was happening, but it was really pleasant. Well, don't you just, just like lounge on an open field and? Yeah, it was like a super nice day and just like lounged outside. It was great. Just bring like a bottle of wine and. I was trying to figure out what was going on. I just like at some point I said. I was like, I don't even know how they're hitting the ball with how far, like how hard and how, you know, like all the spin they could put on the ball, like bouncing it. But I think that that concludes our cricket analysis of the day. That pretty much does. And I think that's going to conclude the episode for the day. You guys got anything else before we wrap this up? It is called the silly and their job is basically to just like throw themselves in front of the ball. God, that thing would hurt if they just rifle it right back up the middle. <laughs> 
There's would, also a sweeper and a, a position called the cow corner. Now that's something. <laughs> I don't know what that, that means. That was Pat Burrell playing left field. <laughs> so anyways, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. Minor League Extra? Yeah. Uh, as always... Uh, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're now on Spotify. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
Oh. 